Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Hello. I'm James Riley. Welcome to the Commercial Disco. Today I'm talking to Mari Johnson, the Chief Executive here in Canberra at the Centre for Digital Business. Hi, Mari. Hi, James. Great to be with you today. I just need to give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself. Today we're going to be talking about RoboDebt. We're going to be talking about RoboNDIS. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things around AI and skills and digital government, all that stuff. Now, your background, in addition to the Chief Executive Centre for Digital Business, you have a long history in technology, you've been on lots of advisory boards, advisory panels, including the ANU Cyber Institute, a whole series of panels with the New South Wales government. You served on the AIIA board for quite some years, but the piece on your work history that is very germane to this conversation is that you were head of the technology authority at the National Disability Insurance Agency. Now, you have just joined a group that is starting or has been campaigning for a royal commission to be set up into the NDIA, and we're going to get into the heart of that issue. Now, lots of what we'll be talking about is around government service delivery at scale using artificial intelligence and algorithms to deliver services. So just before we get into that conversation, can I ask you, Elon Musk has, with a bunch of eminent AI luminaries and academics, has signed an open letter calling for a pause to training of AI any greater than chat GPT-4. Now, I'm just interested, what do you make of that? This has got to be the first time technologists have said, stop. I thought someone like Elon Musk thinks technology will solve everything. Apparently not now. So what do you say? Yeah, that's a very interesting development. And one of the great scientists that I follow, Grady Booch, who's a um, scientist with IBM, has also signed that letter. And I support what they're saying for a couple of reasons. One is I've always said that the use case matters in all of this. And I think what RoboDeb and what RoboNDIS has shown is that there is a rush into this space without understanding the implications for both human rights and civil liberties. So I think pausing on this is a very important stage. I think what they're talking about, and particularly I know Grady talks about this a lot, is large language models, and actually what do these mean? Now, I've got great concerns about large language models. I sort of think it's a regurgitation machine. The governance around these, I think, is there's still questions about this. And so GPT or large language models is just one part of that question. I think the governance around these is incredibly important. Having said that, I think that the use of GPT and similar types of technologies can be used for 
civil liberty action as well. So I think it's useful for everybody to really examine how these are going to be used and not just to generate articles and regurgitate things on the internet for people's amusement. I think there's a a far more serious both upside to how these can and should be used as well as a downside that we don't really understand. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Just as a quick note, can I ask, what do you make of the conversation about AI in Australia? Where do you think that conversation is at? I mean, I guess this happens with any technology, but there does seem to be a bit of happy clappy stuff going on in in that conversation about AI. The management consultancies have got hold of the term and are building out their thought leadership in the area. What do you make of it? From a government level, I think we are not only far behind, but not understanding actually how it is to be used. And I think across the board in Australia, look, there's some great things being done by some small individuals and researchers and entrepreneurs, but largely the policy landscape is not only patchy, but inconsistent. And with all of this, my observation, both with RoboDebt and RoboNDIS, and mind you, that's not AI, that's sort of the application of poorly constructed algorithms in a way that is not lawful or consistent with the law. There's not enough attention given to those big disasters, and they are disasters, and learnings from that. So on one level, the government is sort of trying to almost control what's happening in this space by the use of big tech and others. And on the other hand, itself, not understanding what's actually happening within the government itself and how that is being used. In my own life, AI has actually been a lifesaver with our family, and I've spoken about this a lot. You know, my husband, who is a um, a heart patient with eight cardiac bypass grafts and four stents, AI has literally been a lifesaver for us, and that is in the Apple ecosystem. And I think the important thing there is about trust. We trust the Apple AI ecosystem, the health ecosystem. We have all Apple devices. And on many occasions, I've lost count when we've had paramedics come around, the ambulance comes around, and what we reach for is his watch and the iPhone and the app, which has recorded everything on it that has happened during that day. They don't reach for the My Health record or anything like that. They reach for what's on his phone at that point of time. They can see his vitals. They phone ahead to the hospital, way ahead of us even getting to the hospital. The hospital knows what's coming in. Now, that's all because of AI. And that is a phenomenal thing. It really is phenomenal and it is life-saving. I know people with disability in my own family use AI to assist them with their education in a way that the education system isn't keeping up. In fact, teachers have told us, Mari, don't talk to us about iPads and technology because we just don't get it. So our big institutions being government and education and healthcare are just way out of kilter with what's happening with the commercial consumer use of AI. So it's changed our lives in ways that um, we're very thankful for. So I guess we're looking at some parallel worlds in Australia, and I believe the insights for the future are all driven by the consumer and even by people on the edge. And I would say people with disability, people with chronic disease, all of these push the edge in terms of how technology can be truly liberating. We don't see that coming through in government. Yeah, that's a a very fascinating personal story, and thank you for sharing. And kind of illuminates the technology that we're talking about now. Really, it is quite extraordinary. And I guess, you know, with tech, tech is always kind of a two-speed. It's always got a bit of a two-speed thing going on, but it 
it does seem now the fast lane is accelerating way faster than the slow lane seems to be catching up. All right, let's talk about this idea of a Royal Commission into the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Why do we need a Royal Commission? There is a parliamentary inquiry right now, the independent review. Why is that not enough? There are unearthing things that are quite interesting. Why do we need a Royal Commission? We've just had one on similar issues related to robo-debt. Yeah, well, the NDIS has been reviewed countless times, countless times, independent people reviewing the NDIS, Senate committees and so forth. So my concern with this independent review, as well-intentioned as it is, it's just another review. What it can't do is what also all the reviews on robo-debt, I mean, there were many Senate reviews onto robo-debt, the Ombudsman, audit and so forth. All of those reviews didn't get into the issues of robo-debt. The bureaucracy itself frustrated those inquiry processes, and we've seen that in the Royal Commission. So with the NDIS independent review, what it can't do, it doesn't have the power to investigate. I mean, whistleblower protections in this country, in any case, are quite problematic. So there are people I know who might want to come forward and tell their story about what they know, both as providers and staff, and they won't do that. The independent review can't give protections such as parliamentary privilege or the protections of a court. It can't compel witnesses. It can't overcome the veils of FOI, secrecy and cabinet confidentiality. And it really can't refer matters for criminal or anti-corruption investigation. So it'll have a look at what's already there, the various submissions that have already been made, but there is much that remains hidden. And that's why a Royal Commission is needed. Can I just ask you, I'll pick you up on that, because when you talk about things like corruption and criminal behaviour, like those are, are very big words. I guess with RoboDebt, all of the inquiries that were held over that period of time did reveal a program that was not working at its optimal level, right? And then the Royal Commission came along and we found out a lot more and it was ugly. Now, with the NDIS, are you suggesting that there is actually a worse situation under the covers there, that there is potential corruption, if not actual corruption, that has broken that system? So there's a couple of issues there. One is RoboDebt and RoboNDIS were created at the same time, within the same bureaucracy, by the same people, using the same systems, and subject to this same whole-of-government automation strategy, specifically around debt, but across the board, across automation, driven by, at the time, the DTO and executed by DHS. So that was the creation of this whole of government digital machinery, if you like. And it should be remembered that DHS are the providers of technology to the NDIA. I mean, there's some differences of arrangements, um, I think, in recent times. But the point is these programs, RoboDebt and RoboNDIS, are not two different and coincidental programs. They were each intentionally designed at the same time by the bureaucracy as foundations of the digital machinery of government. So they are related. The same people that we've seen through RoboDebt at the same time were in NDIA as well. And so this approach to use whole-of-government methods and technologies for automation, which was the case with robo-debt, and obviously it's now been determined that was not lawful because it wasn't consistent 
in fact it was inconsistent with the legislation, um, is being applied in NDIA in a number of different ways. One is robo-debt itself, the actual automated debt recovery, is happening in NDIA. So even as the Royal Commission was hearing about robo-debt, those practices were still being undertaken in NDIA. And the other aspect of automated assessments is not only in relation to debt, but is also in relation to eligibility and the determination of funding. And so all this is now driven by these same algorithms. So we believe that there is um, grounds for Royal Commission, for the Robodebt Royal Commission to be extended because we believe that the terms of reference cater for the Robodebt Royal Commission to investigate other like areas to ensure that it never happens again. And the fact that it is happening, even as the Robodebt Royal Commission was taking hearings, points to that very fact that it needs to extend to ensure and to understand what's happening because otherwise its terms of reference really aren't complete until that is done. Yes, that's right. And look, I want to ask you about the organisation that is kind of pressing this grassroots campaign. Before I do, though, let me ask you this. We've had a change of government, obviously, coming up to their year in office. Has that made a difference? Is there a political will in the new government that is open to looking at these things wholeheartedly? Well, in opposition, you know, the Labor opposition, Bill Shorten was very front and centre in terms of talking about robo-debt and robo-NDIS and how robo-NDIS, you know, was a bad thing. So those statements have been made in opposition. Having the Robo-Debt Royal Commission established, I think, was phenomenal. It really, really was. So that, I think, is to be given all due credit for that. I don't think that anybody truly has an understanding of the scale of the issues in the NDIA at the moment. And I think it would really shock people to know that there is activities that are multiples more extreme, if you like, if that was even possible than robo-debt. So this government has done a number of things, I think, in terms of looking at the executive within the NDIA and changing the board, and that has all been great. Setting up the independent review as I said, I don't think has gone far enough. I think that really should be a Royal Commission. But what we see on the community forums are horrific stories, just absolutely horrific stories. And we'll be telling these in the campaign, all driven by these same methods, just devastate people being left without supports in the most inhumane circumstances. I never want to hear another mother like we heard at the Royal Commission, talk about their children in the way in which those mothers spoke about their sons. But we're seeing that with robo-NDIS. So I do think that with the campaign building, that the community will listen and that the government will listen. There's a lot of talk about the sustainability of the NDIS. That's largely because the model is broken. And I mean, I've written about this before. And I think a Royal Commission can actually get in and understand, just like it did with RoboDebt, challenge the assumptions on which that was made. And likewise, it will be able to challenge the assumptions on which the NDIS model is made. I'm talking to Marie Johnson, Chief Executive of the Centre for Digital Business and a former Head of Technology Authority at the NDIA. Let me ask you, the organisation that is now pressing for this Royal Commission, just describe what that campaign looks like and 
who are some of the people who uh, have thrown their hat in? Yeah, so the Robo NDIS campaign is an independent grassroots movement run by volunteers. We'll be using social media platforms, web platforms. The campaign numbers in the hundreds, people from all walks of life. We have participants, families, advocates, current and former NDIA staff, current and former provider staff, lawyers, health professionals, journalists, and technologists. So a broad cross-section of people, very similar to the way in which the RoboDeck campaign was uh, set up. So it was a, a small core group of people who actually put up a website and from that the campaign grew. So there's a lot of similarities here. The gentleman who is leading the campaign, gentleman by the name of Mark Toomey, who's been commenting on LinkedIn, he's established a Facebook group around this and there's uh, hundreds of people involved in that. So there'll be more news about this probably in the next uh, several weeks. And that website is up, is it robondis.org? Is that right? Yeah, Robo- not, not up yet, but it'll be uh, in a, a few weeks' time. Okay. Now, the initial aim is the creation of a petition. It's obviously awareness and all of those things and getting some community attention, but there is a petition that will be delivered to the parliament? That's right. So there's, if you like, two clear calls to action. The first is we'll be asking people to write letters to their members and senators. This was very effective during the independent assessment campaign. And so we're running a very, very similar thing. So we'll be having letters on the website that people can download. They can change them if they want, but they'll be there as templates to have a letter writing campaign to their members and senators. Then we will also be undertaking a petition which has got certain criteria around that in certain timeframes. So we'll be first up getting out with the letters to build momentum, and then we'll be launching the petition shortly after. All right. Can I just ask you, uh, there is an irony here, isn't there? The the use of GPT in the campaign, just describe how you're using it, why you're using it, and are you trying to make a point or it's an actual useful tool that will drive grassroots support? It is somewhat of an irony, uh, given our earlier discussion too on uh, Elon Musk's and others saying, you know, how this potentially should be used or research paused. But the tool is there at the moment. And we see it as a tool to assist with both the research and the campaign. So we'll be using and the community will be using a GPT to do a lot of research across all the inquiries, all the submissions that have ever been done into the NDIS, the commentary that's been done, the research and various reports that have been done to, if you like, surface all the issues that otherwise just if you like, in normal research timeframe that we've got would be not achievable. So we're using it in a way to escalate and also to accelerate the research behind the whole campaign. So I guess the irony is this will be potentially the first time that uh, community activism will be using GPT type of tools, the very community who've been so affected by the government's use of algorithms and technology in order to bring about justice for those very people, for ourselves. Mario, I'm going to finish on this question. I just wanted to ask you, you know, there is a lot of talk generally about the sustainability of the scheme against a a backdrop where many of the participants in this scheme are having their support cut significantly in many cases. You've talked about 
the actual model of delivery is broken. So talk to me about those two things, maintaining sustainability and uh, how do we fix this? So sustainability has got two dimensions. One is costs and the other is the benefits. And mostly we don't hear about the benefits, but the Productivity Commission report that set up the NDIS was all about benefits, benefits back not only to the individuals and their families, but benefits in terms of the broader economy. And this is where I think innovation has a huge role to play, the role of assistive technology in people's lives to support not only their independence, but to really drive innovation in the way in which assistive technology industry can grow and flourish in Australia. So that is absolutely something that is not only not spoken about, but it's not even factored in to the sustainability reports and model. So it's all very much how much money spent and sort of a people type of question. There's nothing about the innovation side of things. When we look at the stories that are coming out, more and more we're seeing families, people, individual participants, as well as parents of participants saying they have to give up their jobs. They have to give up their jobs because, and this is participants, because they're not getting the supports they need in order to be able to, you know, live independently and function and go to work. Parents are saying they're having to give up their jobs because their child or their adult child does not have the supports that are needed and therefore the caring is coming 100% back to the parents so they're having to give up their job. People are saying that they're spending at least one full day a week what they call their NDIA job and that is all the paperwork and the red tape and the meetings and all of that and I know that for a fact. So there's a whole red tape impact from the NDIA as it's currently constructed. That is not being taken into account in the sustainability model at the moment. The whole idea was to actually free people up, <laughs> you know, so that um, people could be supported, that carers would be able to work if that's what they're able to do and contribute in that way as well as participants. So there's something at the heart of it that is incredibly defective. And there's a couple of things that I've spoken about in articles with Innovation Oz and in submissions that point to several factors driving all of that. Whether or not the independent review gets to it, I don't know. A Royal Commission certainly would. All right. Mari Johnson, thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the best with your campaign. With as many as a million Australians connected in some way through family or close friends to the NDIS, we wish you all the best with that. It is quite incredible seeing you know, grassroots campaigns of this nature on government delivery programs. This is an unusual topic for the commercial disco. We generally look at very much the commercial side of things, but our publication has followed quite closely delivery issues in government. And I think that this uh, RoboDebt and the NDIS is kind of emblematic of some structural and functional issues within digital and technology programs. But Murray, thank you. James, thanks very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share this story again and got a little way to go, but thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco Podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, 
This is the Commercial Disco, wishing you a great week ahead.